Hello and welcome to the inaugural Futsal Community Podcast. Who are we? What are we? Why are we here? We will explain. But before we go into who we are, my co-presenter is going to talk a little bit about our purpose. Thank you, Richard. Um, I think, obviously, it's a Stuart Cook, by the way, if anyone didn't recognise the deep, uh, mundane tones of my bank accent. I think, first and foremost, we've obviously, for years, said that we this is something we'd like to do uh, and getting more content out there for the community from everybody, um, I think is important. And I think listening to yourself and, and Enrique uh, Butcher, the Futsalsa podcast earlier this season, probably prompted this to happen. And, you know, I'm a big fan uh, as I sit here with my riding high mug of uh, Dave and Danny over at East Riding. I think we're probably in a slightly different position than other people having been in the game for a lot longer and probably at various different levels, you know, at England, Helvetia, Bloomsbury, myself now at Bolton and Manchester previously to maybe give a bit more of an informed discussion and, and opinions um, on certain subjects. And I think that's probably what we'd hope to do, as well as obviously take the, uh, the mick out of quite a lot of people along the way, which is, I find quite fun. Yeah, so I think that's a really good summary of what we're going to try and cover in these in these chats. Um I think my main motivation is just getting some more content out there, some more stuff for people to to listen to and hopefully enjoy. So we will be having some some engagement with anyone listening, asking a few questions, trying to keep you in the loop and also keen to get any uh, suggestions of topics you want us to cover. So with that, we'll talk a little bit about who we are. I'll start with myself. I'm Richard Ward, started playing futsal 2009 at university which is quite a common path for people to get into the game. Uh, I know in particular you look at Loughborough in the National League, creating loads of different teams with all their different players coming in. A lot of them sort of starting at uni. I think more and more nowadays you see people starting in school and clubs. But um, but yeah, that's where I came into it. Uh, Joined Sheffield FC uh, under the stewardship of Gianni Cruz, who's another big name in the the English futsal world. Uh, Done a lot of work at Brunel. A lot of experience and then gradually moved across teams, across countries, a uh, bit of time in Barcelona studying, then came back, played for Manchester, uh, Helvetia and then landed at Bloomsbury. Um, made my England debut 2014 uh, under Pete Sturges at the time, who's now uh, still with the FA, focusing on the, uh, on the, on the growth of the smaller sided um, and the use of smaller sided sports. Is that right? To, to help train youth? Yeah, I think actually Pete's left, well. left, left the FA now. Uh, I think I've seen recently he's setting up a, a website to help coaches in the foundation age, which, um, you know, with Pete's experience. And like I said, I think he was a, a, a great foundation uh, coach. So I think that'd be really good for the community, whether it be football or futsal. Obviously, you know, Pete's background in both is is really good. Yeah, I think Pete was uh, great, forever grateful for him, really nice guy. Um, and then his assistant at the time was Michael Scubala. Um, who then came in, t- took the program, I think, to another level, helped us progress to a couple of main round qualifying rounds. Um, and, now, and then now, for those of you who I'm sure are already aware, he's moved towards the football side, um, whilst I think keeping a finger in the uh, the English futsal program. So played under those two gaffers, and then, yeah, kind of now looking at the tail end of my career, 32 years old, and just trying to, See what needs to happen in the next step. That's a tough paper round you've had. Just looking at the uh, the monitor here, guys. He's uh, the, the the bags under the eyes. Now now you've got maybe to look after. Ah, uh, saggy. Uh, okay, so a little bit about me. Um, I mean, I've done a few podcasts where I've probably told people how I got into the sport, but for anybody new. Um, my journey into futsal is probably a little bit different to, to most people's. Um, obviously, I was sort of playing semi-pro football um, in about 2009. I'm playing a lot of five-a-side tournaments in the old sort of power league and goals, uh, boards round, um, one of my first loves. And at the time, uh, a gentleman called Dermot Collins, who's still working within the FA and is involved or was involved with the, the Pokemon Cup for the last few years, he was sort of doing a little bit of scouting when once Pete took over um, and I was invited into a training camp with the national team at Lillyshaw in around May 2009 it was. We did a, a, a two-day training camp on a Sunday and I kind of just fell in love with the sport really and was invited back to another training camp in 
October that was taken by Micho um, and Pete at the same time, but it was a precursor to two internationals against Israel. So my first two futsal games were both for England. Um, I somehow managed to start both, performed probably adequately at the time, but watching it back horrendously with zero futsal actually played uh, in two, three, one defeats. But I just fell in love with it. And so I came away from those two games wanting to get involved with it. Uh, I found my first club in uh, the mighty Liverpool futsal with Ronnie Johnson, who's still running it with myself. Not the former Man U centre-half? No, no. I think Ronnie's slightly less mobile than than that Ronnie Johnson was. Um, So, yeah, I did Liverpool for a little bit, but unfortunately, six months later, it was when I tore my first ACL. So I spent the best part of 18 months recovering from that. Once I came back is when I signed for Manchester. I had some some good successful years there where we competed admirably against the the professional Baku. And obviously, we had some battles on court, actually, when you were at Sheffield. Uh, I think we won a couple and you won one. Um, in terms of the Northern titles. So they were good. And you yeah. always had a good, strong squad with a lot of England sort of presence. And I think... Yeah, we, those are really know. good battles because you've got people like Ben Mortlock, Ollie Wheatley, O'Neill Curtis, Holmes, all playing for England. So you had a lot of those players, core players in the North, obviously with you, Sam as well. Yeah, Kingy and, and Ilya was playing at the time as well. And we had a few other young lads like Ross Bond, who obviously sort of played for England a few times before disappearing out to, I think it was Dubai, to do some coaching for City. So and I think at the time, you know, sort of around that sort of 2011 through to 2013, 14, 15, I think the, the, the talent pool for players was spread quite a lot. You know, Loughborough had four or five England internationals. Bristol slash Bath had, you know, Bally, Parksy, Dave Jennings. And then you obviously had the London clubs who, whilst maybe not so many England internationals, there was always a um, a good influx of, of foreign players who were really competitive. And, and I think the league was really balanced at, around that time. Yeah. But, uh, just just yeah. go back to the Lillashaw one and, and the player pool. How many players were at the trials? I think a few months before I got invited into the training camp, they had a, a full sort of two trial days where a lot of five-a-side and non-league footballers were invited. Um, I didn't attend any because I was on, I think I was on a family holiday for the one that I, I that was in the North and sort of like Rob Ursel and, and Hayden Eames and Thomas Abassi, who were all playing sort of five aside as in, on that sort of that circuit at the time, they all went down and a few other lads I played with and, you know, some were successful, uh, some weren't. I think Urs was already in the setup, in fairness. But some were successful and some weren't. And then the, real, the the sort of reality of the situation was that the ones who were successful were lads I was playing with or against. And they basically sort of vouched for me to bypass the trials and come straight to a training camp. And I think Dermot probably had a say in that as well. So I ended up going straight to a training camp and obviously doing well, standing out. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from right there, really. I went straight into it, like I say, another training camp for games and straight into the starting lineup. And it was like a bit of a whirlwind of a six months um, from going to not even knowing what futsal was to literally starting two games for England. At the point four in Hereford, which at the time was sort of the, the, the place to be. You know, yep. we, we stayed in, in the halls, uh, the halls there, and it was great, actually. You know, I actually really enjoyed the, the, the games and camps we had at Hereford because it it was probably the first sort of before St. George's was a place where you were you were all together in one place and you could sort of create that sort of team bonding and, and social side of it as well, rather than sort of staying in a hotel room. You know, there was common rooms and, you know, at the time, there was playstations and xboxes and stuff so the social side of the squad was was thriving and then it was obviously a walk across the road to the to the court a bit like it is at sgp so that was probably one of the reasons why i found the sport quite enjoyable because i got that experience straight away rather than having to do two to three to four years within a national league club where it's maybe a, a, the standards are a little bit lower in terms of courts and venues and travel and and that kind of thing so maybe maybe my my experience would have been different if that if that isn't how i was introduced to the sport because obviously i was playing non-league and, and and earning money through that i could potentially have not had the career in futsal that I've had if I hadn't have been straight in at sort of the elite end um, yeah. but yeah sort of going back to to me I obviously then left Manchester and played for Helvetia for a couple of years 
um, which was which was enjoyable, if not difficult in terms of travel. I managed to tie it into work um, on a regular basis for trainings and games and stuff. Um, I had one season in exile playing over in, in Wales with Wrexham, um, which was enjoyable for the lads I played with at Wrexham. Um, you know, I think they had a really good group um, and we obviously won the league and cup double and went out to the Champions League which was which was a good experience um, and then I came back to Helvetia for a few years which was then probably it was it was great because we had obviously the core group of English lads who were playing together but I just think we probably lacked a little bit of leadership and, and sort of development to get the best out of us um, yeah. and I think we were just probably the best player pool I think we probably could have been better as a unit and I think that was probably one of my reasons for leaving was that I wasn't quite getting out of it what I wanted so I made the decision to come up back up to Bolton and it's been a long slog ever since with with Bolton but I am really enjoying it in fairness you know taking on a different kind of role as a player and ultimately now head coach and, and helping Natalie run it you definitely see a different side to the sport and get a different appreciation for everything and to be honest your mentality kind of changes once you take on a on a more leading role within the club. Yeah, you can def- definitely see that because obviously I've, I've played with you at your peak and now, you know, into your golden years. Good to see you I'll, actually I'll, enjoying I'll, that side of things. I was going to say, I'll take that backhanded compliment as well as I can. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, like I've got no interest of coaching, running a club, anything like that. But I can see you popping up, getting experience in, in all those different areas. And I think that's what you need just to have that, you know, you've got the playing side, but it is a whole new skill to learn, right? How do you coach? How do you work with youth? How do you bring them onto that next level? And that's, I think, something that we'll probably talk a little bit more about in our discussions. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think a lot of a lot of my mentality started to shift after leaving Helvetia. Probably before that, in fairness, you know, I had a uh, I kind of took myself away from the England squad in 2017 for a period of time um, because I was struggling with work and and other commitments to to really put the time into being an international futsal player. So I think I was out for sort of like eight to nine months. Um, I think you went away to China in that time and I got three really good results in fairness. Um, so I definitely wasn't missed for that period of time. And then when I came back, I think, you know, I think for a long time, I never, a bit like yourself, I never really wanted to coach. It didn't really interest me. You know, I'd, I've ne- I'd never done any bad years. I hadn't really done anything. I'd, I'd taken the odd session here and there with whether it be Manchester or you know, uh, somebody else. Um, but it wasn't something that in my head, I was like, yeah, that's the next step. I think I probably, because obviously I've played non-league for, you know, 15, 16, 17 years. I always probably felt that going into non-league management would be the step because the reality is you don't have to coach. You kind of just have to have good contacts list, be a good, you know, be a people person, which either some people would say I am people who probably knew me six, seven, eight, well, nine I mean, years I, ago. I can, would I can vouch for the community with. and confirming otherwise. Um, and again, Talking about former English players managing at non-league, I've had that one season or half a season under Rob Ersel. I can categorically confirm that you do not need to have any ability at coaching or player selection. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a world unto itself at non-league. And like I say, I'm, I, I obviously I retired from playing in uh, 2018. And I, I thought for a lot, I, I thought leading up to that decision that I would really miss it because obviously the routine of training twice a week you know, traveling to play games and, and don't get me wrong. I never really loved football from being a relatively young age at sort of 16. I kind of fell out of love with it and treated it very much as a second job um, outside of probably a couple of years at Northwich Vicks where we were quite successful. And I think I had a manager who probably was the first person who kind of made me think about coaching um, because of the way he went about things. And I saw the benefits of the effort that he put in. Um, to the more tactical side of even non-league that was probably the first time so that would have been like sort of 2015 16 where I was like yeah you know what I kind of relate to him I get him he gets me my understanding of what I think the game is 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 good Um, and that was probably the first person who kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of coaching Um, and it probably carried on from there and again that probably coincides with my shifting mentality from being a very driven player and very difficult player to play with and manage because you know that I was quite demanding as a player and and often flew off the handle if things were poor or if 
if players weren't up to standard, probably in the wrong way back then as well. In fairness, you know, I think yeah, I think Russ can yeah, probably vouch yeah. for that. Um, <laughs> having not spoken to him for about three or four years when he first came into the England squad, but we turned that relationship around, and I can tolerate him now. Yeah, he's all right. But I mean, just to bring that back to kind of how he met, really. Um, I'd obviously played against you in the league, in the Northern League, but we'd never really spoken. But um, we met, you were on tour with Middlesbrough 2011 in Barcelona. Yeah. I was there studying. Yeah, really good trip. I was there studying and Damon Shaw kindly invited us over. Solomon Islands head coach, Damon Shaw. Well, actually, I I don't think he is currently. I think he's moved on from the Solomon Islands. I'm sure he's looking for his next venture. But yeah. Well, uh, yeah, unfortunately, they didn't qualify the New Zealand boy was qualified so anyway the topic for another day but uh yeah very grateful for damon getting us over again that middlesbrough team stacked good english talent you had jason kilbride mikey Bulmer, robert Betson, mikey roberts yeah mikey roberts they were always a, a really good team and um what i remember from even those days so that's 2011 you're saying 2014 15 with vix even 2011 you know you were demanding players what to do telling them how to close the space off kind of leading on the pitch which is something I definitely saw you evolve over the years to, into England, especially around you know that communication. So your understanding of that as a player, I think is only going to help you when you coach. Yeah, and I think we've had this discussion numerous times and, and probably in slightly different sort of settings. My, my opinion of, of everybody is probably undervalued um, in that I think everybody is poorer than they probably are. But that's because... I think that the the ceiling for English players is higher than we give ourselves credit for. And I say that from a personal point of view, because I, I, I hear all the time that we have to go abroad to get better. And I agree that, you know, Liam got better when he went abroad. But, you know, did he get better at futsal or did he get better because he was training every day? He was committed to the sport and he was around like-minded people. Um, you know, I speak to him about the coaching that he got out there and the reality is it's probably no different to the coaching he's getting, certainly now with with. JTO at Bloomsbury and probably not that dissimilar to what he was getting at Baku so the two clubs he's had in England or the two main clubs he's had in England probably gave him more coaching than he got abroad but the difference was he was training four times a week he was eating right he was like I say around like-minded people which ultimately elevated his level and like I say from from a personal point of view I had the opportunity to go abroad and never took it because of family reasons and it never really suited my my life. But I felt like I hit a relatively high ceiling in terms of the level of competition that I felt I could deal with at international level. So I, I say openly, I think I could compete, compete, not necessarily win, compete up to about the top 10 in the world. You know, we played Ukraine, who were a top 10 team on a couple of occasions and never once really felt out of my depth as an individual. And likewise, we, we face sort of the, the 10 to 20 rankings bracket a few times as well in Slovenia and, and other, other nations. And again, you know, I never, never felt like I was out of my depth at that level. Not saying I couldn't have got better to do more because I think I could have done, you know, ultimately I, I still maintain that I'm a footballer playing futsal, not a pure futsal player. Um, yeah. You know, and that's probably because of my upbringing. You know, the reality is I didn't really start playing futsal till I was nearly 25 after my ACL injury. You know, I, I had six I had six games before that. So my upbringing is different to, to let's say, the group of 19s who went out to Italy last year who have been playing since they were around 10-ish are getting those kind of experiences at 17, 18. They're staying together as a training group and then they're going to go on to potentially play for another 10 years with... I think better coaching. You know, I think I do think within England now the coaches are more educated. I think the information that's out there and the effort that coaches go to to improve their knowledge, whether it be through playing experiences or through CPDs and everything else, I see the 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 organisation, the the implementation on court as has improved. I think the problem is with the loss of the England squad that the individuals have probably dropped in quality and probably dropped in commitment as well, which kind of goes hand in hand. And I think I'm hoping that the England team coming back, both for the men's and the women's and the introduction of the 19s again, and having another cycle for the, for the 19s, that we start to see that level of individual increase and the level of commitment from the individuals already in the sport increase, which ultimately takes the level up. Um, So so that kind of of brings us on to the current state of the league. And I think what you said there around the coaching is improving, but the player 
ability isn't what it was, say, 10 years ago when we played. I think it's it's easy to always have the kind of rose-tinted glass, glasses of, oh, when I, when I was playing, when I was coming up, everything was much harder. But I think, especially with a lot of Helvetia this year, the, the the competition in the league, it's sort of two teams, really. Um, yeah, Bolton, Loughborough on their day can put up a challenge and probably will get a couple of good results. But I think Bloomsbury and Manchester seem to be kind of most structured. They have a good playing system. All the players kind of know what they're doing. Um, and I think it's harder to get that somewhere at Loughborough when the, the, the player, the throughput of players is so high, the turnover is so high. Because they're always going to compete, um, but they're not getting that consistency. I think it's hard to have. You know, I think Morgs does a really good job as sort of the senior player there. Other senior players kind of don't stick around. Obviously, rookie before him. And um, Bolton, I know you're working hard at that, but I think there's challenges on on kind of player pool, right? You've not got you've got Manchester, you've got Bolton. Yeah, of course. How many players you know, can you get in? In terms of players moving into the area, we our competition is Manchester, and the reality is, as a club, we're not we're not really. It, competing with Manchester they're they're a far superior um club to to Bolton you know we we are very much a grassroots setup you know it's myself and Natalie and a few other of the parents and and committed people who do most of the stuff behind the scenes you know we've we we've, we've got a good academy but a lot it's a grassroots academy you know um we we don't really have we've got a couple of good committed sponsors who probably see us through the majority of each season but again you know, we'll probably do a fundraiser in the summer to try and to try and bring some more income into the club because we're just trying to, to I suppose, grow naturally. Um, I think we've probably grown a little bit too quickly in terms of having a tier two team, a tier one team and the women's team in the, 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 the WSS and the financial costs, you know, whether it be courts or referees and, and travel, that that's probably been a little bit too much for us. But at the same time, because we've got such a good a group of young players who have been committed for a long time, committing to tier two was really important for their development. And ultimately, as a club, we're in it for the players, not really for anything else. Like We're not looking to make money. It's not a business. We're not trying to pay anybody. It's very much a whatever we can generate goes straight back into the club to give the best experiences for the next people. You know, so... If we've got another group of young players coming through, we'll probably try and find a, the, the money to put them in tier three so that they've got somewhere to play. Because I, as much as I love coaching and, and the, the elite end of the sport, one of the big reasons for me staying in the sport is to try and grow it. And you grow it by participation, keeping people involved in the sport. I think my number one priority as a coach, as a as a somebody who's running a club and as a player, is to keep people in the game. Um, and I think everything else comes after that because if we lose good people, then the sport's never going to grow. And actually on that, one of my sort of mini gripes with the bigger picture of the sport is is that I just don't think we do enough to keep the people we need to keep in the sport. Um, and I think we we lose good people with great experiences and good knowledge, whether it be business or whether it be playing, whether it be, you know, running clubs, uh, being able to, you know, develop players i think we lose a lot of good players and good people because we just don't do enough to try and keep the experience in the sport yeah i completely agree with that definitely from a player side i can see loads of examples where players would rather go and do what six seventh tier of football get 100 quid a week and in the futsal world they've built up that knowledge and we're losing some really good players there and you contrast that with other countries where they don't have money at the sixth, seventh, eighth level of football, and that money would instead go to futsal teams. So I think that's always the challenge for us, especially when you said right at the start around how do England compete at the international stage? We could apply our, all our resources better, but culturally we don't really want to do that. We want to plow our money into kind of lower level football. I, I've had this, I've had this conversation numerous times with various different people in that one I think it, it affects more than just our sport I think it affects athletics basketball rugby um, you know any any other sport that the fact that we have people play as athletes who could be paid a hundred pounds to play in level in step ten nine you know of of the football pyramid kills the opportunity for a, a, somebody who who might be a really good cricketer 
instead of going to play cricket and work their way up at 16, 17, 18, once their, once their professional football dream has, has sort of disappeared, they end up in the non-league system for the next 10 years and we potentially lose somebody who over the, over a period of time between 16 and 20 could go on to be the best cricketer in the world or the best shot putter in the world. You know, and I'm, I'm just throwing those sports out there as, as an example, but ultimately I think because football is so big in this country, every other sport is affected by it and, and it, it diminishes the 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 pool of athletes and players that those other sports can start to um sort of try and generate input from Uh, and i I do think it's a huge issue um in the country but i also don't ever see it changing which is why i think futsal in the sport has to be realistic i love it it's my passion and i'm I'm in it for the long run but i'm also the reason i'm in it for the long run is because i think it's going to take a long run for us to to grow this sport to where it probably deserves to be and compete with the other nations both internationally and on in terms of a league basis yeah and and that's and that's the goal here right that's why that's why we've committed so much over the years in trying to be where we need to be within our own restrictions right time resources all that sort of stuff um so just to talk about the the reason you'd switch sports then is that is that to do with the different standards that we have for players in terms of how much they commit to the sport is that is that kind of gone up or down do you think yeah so like we were talking about the league trust i think it being national means that it it is a commitment and like i sort of alluded to before that i do do believe that because of the organization of the league and the nfs um which i think has been great for the sport in keeping sort of standards high and i do although as a caveat, I do think that there needs to be a compromise as we move forward into the next stage of whatever this sport development looks like, you know, whether it be court sizes or venues, finding that happy medium where we're not excluding people because they can't get a 40 by 20, but at the same time, we're keeping enough of a standard where the sport still looks like futsal because, you know, I, I'm, I won't waver in my opinion that a 30 by 15 is too small. But at the same time, I understand that a 40 by 20 might be unrealistic. And again, that's probably an opinion that's changed from going from just player in 2018 to now being coach and also sort of club. um, So what you're talking about there, is it it impossible to find 40 by 20, are you saying? I'm not saying it's impossible, but I think it's it's been evident on social media that, you know, we are excluding certain areas of the country because there is no 40 by 20 you know bolton for example we we have uclan preston 40 by 20 it's a great venue but we have no access to it and that's something that's a gap that's a a gap i'm trying to bridge at the moment by opening sort of discussion lines with the university but the reality is they don't really want to help us at the moment you know so they had some dates that were available to us but they would only open for a minimum of five hours which we can't afford to fund you know even if we put kids games on around it the cost of the venue it outweighs what we would get back and as a grassroots club it's unrealistic so we're having to play out of the velodrome which again is another great venue and cost wise there's no issues but we're then obviously competing with all the cycling events that go on there and obviously it's manchester's home so you know they have a lot of their own events on so we we've then looked at places like Oldham Leisure Centre which is obviously a bit further afield for us which again availability is almost nil and we've the reality is we've we're playing the majority of our home games out of Green Bank in Liverpool which is just tier one standard but it's not ideal for us to grow as a club uh, because it's 45 minutes away and like we we're hoping to move into a new training venue. Again, that isn't big enough to host tier one. It'll host tier two cup games and we'll be able to have all our training out of there, which again will allow us to, again, put a little bit more of renewed effort into the uh, the academy side and try and grow the academy again and, and, and go back to sort of our youth uh, roots, which is what Mick wanted the club to be. And because we've spent the last three or four years focusing on the top end of the club, you know, with the women's, ladies, seniors team and all that kind of stuff. But, we we we're ultimately limited by the availability of of a 40 by 20 that's not going to change next season if the the criteria for tier 1 stays at 40 by 20 or 38 18 i think it is to, to be official we're going to play most of our home games out of the velodrome out of manchester uh, out of greenbank and if we can get some form of relationship with uclan maybe out of uclan but all of them are 45 minutes away from bolton which ultimately should be our home yeah and and you talk about just to give it some perspective if you go to any other country in Europe, they have a local leisure centre where all their sports, basketball, handball, volleyball, all of them are played and that is a 40 by 20 minimum. 
and everyone has access to it. It's going to be a tenth of the price of what you have to pay in England. And all the community will go to that venue and watch all the sports. That's just something that we just don't have. Yeah, and, and you've obviously experienced that living living out in Barca. Personally, that's not something that I've I've lived. I've been out to Barca. We've done we, you know we've done tours of Barca both as a player and as a coach. And you, one of the reasons that's so important for me to to take the we we took eighty young players not last year the year before over to Barcelona. And you see the changing mentality of those players and parents once they experience the sport over in a place like Barcelona because it is a different sport. You know the you know the the, the way the way it's promoted the the, the way it's supported by by not only the people but also like you say the facilities and the council and whoever else is is supporting that sort of development and growth and and again we're we're we're, we're talking about a, a country who've, who've been doing this for a lot longer than we have but the reality is i don't see the facility side of things changing in england anytime soon so we we almost have to adapt as a as a sport to try and utilize what we do have to make the the, the sport as attract mo, as most attractive as possible for everybody to to want to participate and that's yeah. where i think the compromise comes in in terms of do we need to look at a more realistic tier one court size so that we can start to get you know places like cambridge where obviously they they have a court size that they might be i think 30 but 36 by 18 it might might be sort of the biggest court size they can achieve in their in their venue is that big enough for tier one now as a player five years ago if you'd have or a little bit longer if you'd have asked me that i'd have said no it's got to be international standard because we want to get better at international level but that's me as a player you know players have to be selfish so as a selfish player at 30 i wanted to be the best possible player and the best way to do that was to play on the court sizes that i played on so the game looked like the game we did at international level but that's an elite mentality and that's um, you, we're, we're then taken away from the rest of the sport and ultimately now as I transition into coach and, and something else the, seeing the rest of the game grow is as important as the elite end yeah and I get that but I don't want to play on a small court <laughs> well this is this is where the compromise comes isn't it because I agree like 30 by 15 doesn't represent futsal okay it's yeah. fine it, it can be recreational and there's benefits to it you know obviously our tier 2 team play on a 31 by 16 um, and I think ultimately the smaller the core you can, a good futsal player will still shine, but the reality is it's not, it's not, if you play against somebody who doesn't want to play futsal, it doesn't look like futsal because, you know, I mean, East riding, for example, at the weekend, they played our tier two team 30 by 15. You knew exactly what the game was going to look like. And, you know, it's it's fine because it's from from my our point of view at, at tier two level it's great we've got a group of 16 and 17 year olds who have to be able to experience dealing with a long ball dealing with physicality you know dealing with tight spaces and so it's great for their development you know it's it it does look different but in the grand scheme of things it it doesn't necessarily represent the international game which is what we're trying to kind of prepare everybody for, because I do think everybody has the opportunity to, to experience international futsal. All they have to do is commit the way that everybody else does. And people don't really understand what that commitment is um, until you have conversations with, I suppose people like me and you who have dedicated the best part of 10 to 15 years to traveling around the country, not only to play, but to train and to learn and to try and give yourself the, the best opportunity to be in that England squad. Yeah, that's a nice segue into uh, a short break and then after that we'll, we'll cover that. All right, thanks for waiting after our little break. Um, we've actually managed to secure Great Britain and Ireland's most successful or decorated futsal player of all time, a man who doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to do it anyway, Liam, the Paul Pal Freeman. Hello, Liam. Wagwan! <laughs> I mean, Cookie, you've you've mentored this guy more than anyone, I think, in the uh, in the scene. Can you give me a little bit of information about this young gentleman? Yeah, I've never been more disappointed than with his with his introduction to the podcast either. Um, Sorry, Matt, did no, I get it 
no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, everybody, everybody knows your lightheartedness. Um, me, me more than most. I, I think it, it's probably um, telling that Liam comes and joins us when we're about to to start the discussion about England. Uh, I think he's probably one of the one players who will probably have a change in mentality now the England team's back. Whilst you haven't gone out of the sport, you've definitely wavered in terms of whether you stay in it and your commitment. You know, I know obviously sort of this season you've played a bit for Milton and doing a bit of non-league as as like other players have started to dip in and out. But I going back to kind of one of the things I said before, I think that's why the England team coming back for me is so important. Obviously, you know, I made my statement last week and I'm sure we'll cover that in, in a minute. But, you know, players like yourself who have been playing from when they were young, had all the experiences of playing abroad, ultimately, uh, you know, one of the leading players in the country. The fact that you were on your way out is is everything that we need to try and avoid within the sport. So hopefully the England team coming back gives you that sort of renewed commitment to to carry on, but only you'll be able to uh, to tell us that. Yeah, of course. Like I say, I agree with what you said. Um, Obviously, I've been lucky enough to play in a few different countries and see different experiences in Italy and Spain. Um, but yeah, like with futsal for me, it's like, obviously when I was going abroad, I was doing that mainly for England to be the best version of myself fitness-wise and like as an athlete and all that stuff. Um, obviously learning new styles, tactics, all that stuff. Um, but then obviously once I stopped doing that, and I come back to England. So obviously I went to Helvetia um, for that first year. Um, I know we won the league, but I was, I still felt like I wasn't enjoying the sport. Um, and obviously with the politics as well, because the clubs that I'm obviously playing for where there's money involved, sometimes, well, 90% of the time in futsal, it goes, it always goes wrong and ends up in, you know, a club folding or losing a sponsorship, whatever. Um, so, I, you know, I was getting to that point where I'm just like, fed up of the, the politics and the money, but like, or, like trying to chase money or whatever it is. So, um, you know, and then, then England obviously being taken away and stuff, it was like, what am I hanging around for? Cause just like I said, just really wasn't enjoying it. But, um, say luckily found, well, not found, got, went to Bloomsbury after about five years of them trying to sign me every year. Um, obviously it was great being with the boys, Wardy, Calvin, Russ, so yeah, you know, it's given me that new, you know, that new bit of excitement, just playing for playing for the right reasons, playing for fun, playing for enjoyment. But then obviously, yes, say England's back, so yeah, there'll definitely be a. How I personally, I've changed the way that I'm going to do things. Yeah, I've been playing football for Milton. Um, after yeah, you know, I see the season out there. Probably, probably knock it on the head. I'm not sure yet. See, like they see see what happens because you know, might still might not get selected. Yeah, yeah I, think that's, still, uh, I think I think there's still a lot to come out in terms of the the England squad. Obviously, like I said, I made my announcement that look, I I've been for, in terms of having conversations with people face to face. I've been relatively open that one of the reasons I haven't really committed to to training and playing over the last few years is one because I've been on a, a different kind of journey and doing my coaching qualifications. You know, again, I missed this weekend because. I've got uh, my final um, weekend of my UEFA C and I'm obviously I'm I've got other things going on as well. So, you know, I've been on a different journey of, of trying to develop myself as a coach because I wasn't sure when this announcement was going to come. This announcement could have come in 12 months time and it might have been too late. It could have been, you know, three or four years down the line. So I've kind of, I suppose, been twin tracking, playing and coaching more so the coaching um, because of the commitment to Bolton. But the other, the, 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 the sort of, the side factor to that is one of the reasons I haven't committed to being a player is you don't, I don't feel like you need to right now. Like as a, as a, as a player, a, re, a relatively, you know, good player who, you know, feels comfortable playing at a decent level. When I play, I don't feel challenged whether I'm fit injured or not. I mean, I've played three games this year with one leg. Um, I don't necessarily feel like it's a challenge. Um, and that's no disrespect to the players or the clubs that are competing at the moment. But like we said before, it does feel like the level has dropped. And I think that is probably in terms of physicality, in terms of competitiveness, in terms of individual quality. And I think the one thing that has gone up is the organisation of teams, the improvement in coach education and the coaches that are now taking the clubs, the organisation of players on court do make it difficult. Um, but as an individual, it's still, I don't still 
feel like it challenges you the way it's, it should do. So that's one of the reasons why I've probably toyed with being a player over the last few years is what do I, why, why do I get up and go and do five gym sessions? Well, three or four gym sessions a week when I don't need to, when actually I can do no training, play on a Sunday and still be relatively competitive. Um, and concentrate on the other side of the game. And I know you're probably in a, 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 a not as maybe as far gone as me, Audie, but you're in a similar position. Yeah. And I think just as we're talking about the whole England thing, I speak for all of us when I say none of us are expecting to get in. No, not at all. The perspective we're giving is 100%. look, we, we were fortunate enough to get in the last time. We've got a good view of what it took to compete at that level but it's completely up in the air around what that squad looks like. And I think all of us are completely comfortable if they go, right, you know what, we're back in the 19s. We're going to push the 19s. Obviously, we'll be upset, kick off, release some propaganda, spread some rumours and try and get back in. <laughs> Goes but, without saying. Exactly. But but I think, you know, and we all want to be in. And I think we've we've shown that we, we are prepared to commit. So that's why we're trying to help people who are listening just to know, you know, just because you play twice a week and you train once, you're not going to get in. Or if you do get in, you're going to get slammed. Um, so just to just to kind of talk about that topic then, I think the first thing is just understanding the sort of position of the change, which is to create the England futsal against what it used to be, which was being run within the FA directly. Cookie, that might be something you can probably talk about a bit better than myself and Liam. Yeah, obviously, I I was really fortunate to be involved in the the coaching group that helped the the under 19s prepare for their prelims and and main round out in Italy last season. Um, and I say fortunate because, like I say, I think there's a lot of coaches who would have loved to have had that opportunity. Um, and maybe my playing experience, maybe the work that I've done with the young players at Bolton is one of the reasons I was invited in. But I loved every minute of it, you know. Um, being in that sort of elite environment again with players. I think the big thing is with, with players who want to listen, want to learn and are willing to implement, you know, it's it, it's often very difficult uh, to, to get all three of those buy-ins at club level because not everybody is there for the same reasons and has the same focus as an international player. So that was, that was really good. And obviously being around coaches like Sean and, and Pete at the time and, and Redders, by the way, who's is an amazing coach um, and sort of person to be around as well, uh, was, was really good for my development and my learning. I think what was evident certainly early on is that 12 months ago, England Futsal were, had literally only sort of just put the foot in the door. They were still figuring a lot out. Um, there were still discussions going on with the, with the FA. And I would imagine now, 12 months on, I'm not involved, but I would imagine that things have moved on and the, the lines of communication between sort of the, the, the top end and bottom end of England Futsal are much better and much clearer. And we've obviously had the announcements that Sean, John and Pete are the three sort of coaches leading that performance pathway. Um, again, I think are three great people to, to go and do that both on the men's and women's side. And I think what probably players won't quite know yet until we, until that squad is announced is what does England futsal look like on a training camp or when traveling out for games in comparison to what England futsal looked like under the FA, where we were obviously very looked after, you know, all the kit, all the, all the trimming St. George's park, almost every training camp. Is that, what the next squad will look like and does that take away from because does that take away from certain players motivations so for me the, the the stuff around it is completely irrelevant i'll train in the backyard in in my my slippers if i have to as long as i'm working hard enough to go and play and pull on that england shirt but i think we've had this conversation probably previously in that it felt like there was groups of players or players that used to sort of come into an England squad or an England 19s camp or a 23s camp as it used to be. And it was very much a case of I'm at St. George's park. Here's an Instagram post. I'm going to take this bit of kit home and I'm going to wear it to training. And, and it was almost more about what was going on around the actual playing than the playing itself. Yeah. Um, I'm, and that was, like that was always the frustration, right? That was always the yeah. frustration because we'd be there. We've worked really, really hard. And some guys like Nick and Kit, and then it just puts it all into perspective where, yeah, yeah, we're amateurs, but like, how seriously are you taking it? So I'm, I think, as you said there, how, how funded it will be, what the budget will look like, is a, is a big question mark. I'm sort of happy about it because, 
you feel overprivileged, I think, or have done in the past, rocking up to pre-quals, playing against a team with one member of staff, and they're probably, you know, they've probably got that one set of kit and that's what they'll have to wash every day and, and get it and get it ready for the next day. Whereas we've had bags and bags of kit, loads and loads of staff. I think we can be more streamlined with it and they're probably they're going to have to be, especially with, I don't know what the details are and what budget they've got to work with, but you've got to assume that it's less than what the FA were, were putting into it, which is probably how it managed to get itself back onto the, back onto the agenda, really. Um, yeah, I think... Um... I think from the the roundabout way, I think my understanding is that England Futsal have the image rights to the Three Lions with England Futsal written underneath it, and they are free to basically go and self-fund, whether that be major sponsors, small sponsors, whatever kind of relationships they want to build, which again, I think from a sport point of view is great. And I think obviously this morning, we've seen the announcement that the England women's team is coming back and that that pathway is going to be there and they're going to go to, you know, some uh, qualifiers in May for the first time ever. And I think for me as a, as a futsal enthusiast and, and sort of somebody who's really passionate about the sport, I'm more interested in that. I'm more interested in futsal, making sure that everybody has the opportunity to climb the ladder to, to, to sort of get to the top. Um, and, how that looks, the, the 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 wherewithal of what a training camp looks like for me is completely irrelevant. As long as they give people a fair chance to 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 experience what we've experienced for the past ten years, I think that's the most important thing. If that means that it comes at a reduced budget and that people are training their own kit, so be it. Like you say, I think the privilege is playing for your country and representing your country in your chosen sport. The rest of it, whatever whatever it looks like, is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, hundred percent. Like. Um... Obviously, when I was coming through the through like the, the the age groups and getting towards the first team, like we, I was used to training in you know Kettering, you know Hereford. Uh, obviously, yeah, we had the odd camp at St George's. So like you know, I think there's a, a like a, a core group of players that are used to just training wherever. They didn't care as long as like you say they were representing the country sort of thing. Um, obviously, my only well, question to both of you really. Obviously, I think it's great that England futsal, uh, uh, you know, have taken over. It's great we've got futsal people pushing it. But the maybe the little concern, I don't know, what you guys think is, you know, how sustainable could that be? Yeah, it's a great question. I hope very. I don't know what the answer is, but that's I can like, that's point like my, that. My little yeah, concern. I think you've got to look at what other countries have done. And I think mm-hmm. Brazil and Spain both have this model where it's run by an organization and funded by their relevant FAs. Um Brazil, I think, has sustained itself for a while. You see the amount of fans they've managed to get in. I think in England, enough people could fund the sport, you know, from a sponsorship, from a fan's perspective, but there's a lot of work to be done. I think one caveat to probably put into that in comparison to, and again, I don't know the ins and outs of of the sort of the Brazil Federation's uh, link between the FA and, and is it the CBF or whoever runs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the national team is, I do believe there is still a line of communication between the FA and England right. Futsal, which will be important as the sport progresses and England Futsal's ownership of the sport moves on. And I think keep it, and, and I've, I've maintained this even through COVID when the, 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 the budget was cut by the FA. I do think the sport is better off with the FA and working with them than working against them. Against them. You know, and, and I think over the longer term plan is hopefully the England futsal, everything England futsal do is great for the sport and for the people involved in it, but also successful on, on a business side and from an off court point of view, so that the FA see the value that this sport offers, not only the sport itself, but also footballers and everybody else who touch it at any point during their life, whether it be at six or whether it be at 60. All right. That's probably more my end than somebody else's, but, I just think that that, that relationship is really important to try and maintain throughout whatever this next five to 10 year period looks like. So on that point, then we saw the, the England Futsal run with the under 19 male program last year. Um, you said you were involved, Cookie. I mean, how, how was that for you working in that? Yeah, like I said before, it, it was it, it was a privilege. Um, and I think you 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 probably see the renewed focus of players when they're in and around that environment um and i think it's great to be able to offer co- uh, sorry offer players different perspectives from different coaches to aid their development um you know i think one of the things i've probably spoken about um 
over the years is that as a player, I I felt like at the clubs I was at, I wasn't there wasn't enough accountability across the board. So people, and we and we're probably going to segue into sort of what it takes to be an international player, but it it feel it has felt for a number of years that people think that performing at NFS level or NFL level as it used to be was enough justification to then be selected and play at international level. And the reality is those two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. You need much more in your sort of arsenal than just performing well on court in England to be able to, to make the step up and to make the, the, the jump in level. And I think what being part of the 19s sort of allowed me to see was that there are players out there who want to learn and want to get better and they want to make that level up, you know? So Matty Barbie, for instance, obviously um, has been at York and I, I believe he might be moving on, but he, he was really inquisitive to me as a coach because he wanted to ask me questions about one V ones and certain scenarios and, and how to do certain things in certain situations and where you look to do things. But those kind of questions are exactly what you want as a coach, because you want people to be engaged. You want people to be looking to improve their weaknesses and not just necessarily just continue to work on their strengths. And I think one of the downfalls to, to being good sometimes in the NFS is that you continue to just do the things that you're good at and you forget to work on all the weaknesses and it's the weaknesses that decide whether you can play at international level or not. Yeah. Liam, anything you wanted to add to that in terms of what it, what it takes to kind of get, get on that pathway? Um, so obviously you do have to perform in the league to a certain extent, but also because where the league's not where it should be in terms of the quality, you don't actually know if someone is capable of stepping up until they play their, you know, their first international game. So, you know, uh, personally for myself, when I came through, I, I think I was 21 when I played my first game. Like, you know, it took me three or four years to get into the first team, but I always felt and believed that once I get my chance, that I'll be in for good because I backed myself for my ability that I could show Scoobs uh, that, you know, that I belong there. And, and fortunately for me, that's what happened. You know, when we had that home nations, I was only meant to play the one game against uh, Northern Ireland. But, he, you know, Scoob said our rookie might not be able to make it because we had a game on a Friday night. So just be prepared. Obviously, yeah, thankfully, rookie didn't turn up. So I got to have my chance. And like they ended up playing playing all three games that weekend instead of just the one. So like you say, I, I say Scoob might not might have thought that maybe I wasn't quite ready. But I knew and believed. So like once I get my chance, I'll be good enough to, to keep my spot. So like you say, it's, yeah, you know, obviously all the dedication and gym stuff and all that. But it's... Yeah, you don't actually know if someone's capable until they actually go out there. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is where it's different for every player, right? Like, I think yeah. everyone has to figure out what they need to do because comparing you and I as, as futsal players, you don't really need to go to the gym if 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 you have yeah. been in the gym in in your I last ten going, years. Actually, thank you very much. Good to know. Uh, I'd like to see the benefits, but for me, it was like I'm not the best futsal player. Like, I have to really work on that side of my game. I know I have to be fitter than everyone. And for me to even have a chance of getting back in, that's you know, that's where I need to get to. Um, and also, like, we don't have the, the highest competition in the league, like we've said. So it, it really is a completely different game, even playing Champions League in the summer to playing against even home, home nations is a step up massively from the league. Um, and then to actually play other other teams and qualifiers, if, if we are going to progress, all the package has to be right. Yeah. Um, so it is. It, it isn't going to be simple. But like for me, an example that I could think of is uh, Nathan Davis. So for me, watching him play NFS for Loughborough all them years, I just thought he was bang average. Um, wasn't quite having him when he came into the England team, but then once he stepped on court, like you say, I felt like his level. He he rose to the to the level. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean that nastily. If Nathan is listening, but. Uh, it, that was just like my opinion at the time because when you play against everyone week in week out, you we all have opinions of each other. Um, like I said I didn't think he was great, but then obviously on the, when he stepped up to the international level, yeah, he you know he his levels rose and he was more than capable of being an international futsal player. So yeah, yeah. I think I, I I share that. I think that's I think that's more of a compliment, right? Because in yeah. in the league he was he was coasting, right? You could you could see yeah, it's too easy. Yeah, yeah, it's too easy. He wasn't really challenging himself. Whereas when we were stepping up against in Italy he would actually get in the mix and he was very physical. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk about the differences between 
NFS and taking that step. The physicality is such a huge one. And you know, the, the champ- just to talk about it again, the Champions League games we played, the amount of physical challenges we're getting left and right. The minute I step out onto an NFS court, it's a foul. And it's it's so hard to transition. So you're learning the game. You're learning the game from scratch, really. One of the things to add as well, and we're talking about obviously the physicality, technical, tactical side of the game. Like Liam was saying before, in terms of when he made his debut, he believed he was ready to to play and perform at international level. And ultimately, once he got there, he did. And he probably wavered up and down over the next sort of 18 months of being successful and then being dipped out a little bit. But ultimately, he never wavered in his belief that he could play and, and impact that level. I think we, I've probably seen more players come into an England setup with more ability than me, but not have the mentality to be able to actually put it on court and get get it out on court. Whether that be self belief, whether that be you know being too risk averse or being scared to be dropped, you, I think it's really important for players that you you actually believe that you're good enough to not only play at this level, but to play at the level above and to play at the level above that mentally, even if physically and technically and tactically, you're not quite there yet. You have to believe mentally that you are. Like I say, I, I said in my post, I believe every time I've stepped on court, I've been the best player in on, on court, no matter who we have played against. That's not true. I know it's not true, but nobody will ever convince me otherwise because one of the things that made me so successful for England was having the mentality that I was the best player on court. So I believed that I was going to make that pass. I was going to win that 1v1. I was going to be stronger than the pivot who we were playing against. And and it is that kind of mental fortitude that allows sometimes average players to make the step up. You can probably uh, appreciate well, that, Wadi. <laughs> I was just going to say, the more now you're speaking about it, I think like you say, that's probably the biggest thing is the the, the mentality side of it. Because um, like obviously playing in the NFS in front of uh, two people, you know, it's, there's no no um, pressure or anything. But then you go out to, let's say, where do we go? Thailand, for example. Now you know the bit of a full stadium, a bit of atmosphere, and all of a sudden it's different. And everyone, like you say, you can see who rises to it and who maybe shies away a little bit. Um, so yeah, like you say, the more we talk about, it, I think the, the the mental side is probably probably the most important factor for me. Yeah, huge, and I think we're learning more. You know, every every day, every year, people are we're learning more about like mental health and how that's so important. It just shows you how how little we kind of understood like five, ten years ago, and how much more we all understand nowadays around how to get into that right mental space. Are you determined enough to to train on those? days when it's really hard for you so again I think anyone who's aspiring at getting that team that's definitely something you should be all over thinking about how you're going to how you're going to get that edge yeah I've actually got um, an old England futsal close seas program um, in front of me at the moment and I'm looking at it and it's off season so we had two weeks two weeks rest and then third week we were up to four sessions so four sessions a week three rest days week two we were up to we were still doing four sessions, two gym, two runs. And then from week three onwards, there are a minimum of five training sessions. And this is an off season program. So this isn't even during the season. This isn't including once you're training twice a week with your clubs and you're playing a game on a Sunday. You know, the last couple of weeks of the program where we go we're we're prepping for two international games. I can't remember who they were against, it doesn't say. But the two weeks leading up to it, six sessions a week. The, the week leading up to it is is four sessions with a couple of rest days before the games. And I think that just kind of, in terms of the physicality, forgetting all the mental side of the game and the technical, tactical side of the game, I think that goes to show kind of like the amount of work you have to do away from the court, you know? So these four weeks in here where you've got two training sessions for your club on a Tuesday and a Thursday and outside of the Saturday, every other session, every other day has something in. And and that's kind of the, the sacrifice and the commitment in terms of time, you know, whether that be away from family, you know, for myself, well, I'm for you two now who are both, you know, new, newish dads, um, or whether that be away or finding time away from work or not having, you know, the social life that you might have had over the past couple of years, you know, whether that's driving two hours, because in my opinion, in order to play for England, you've got to be in tier one. And if you're not in tier one, you're not committed enough because it doesn't matter where they play, you've got to travel. If you want to yep. play for England, you've got to travel to play in, in, in tier one. If that means you've got to drive two hours to training, like Connor Miller does for, for Bloomsbury, 
you know, who's a Northern Ireland international or Liam does when he, when he was traveling to Helvetia, I traveled to Helvetia. I've got players playing for me who are traveling two hours to get to training, you know, at least once a week, sometimes twice. Um, I, that that's the minimum commitment. The, the other stuff around it is, is the, the bit above and beyond, but you have to commit to, to being at the highest level and testing yourself at tier one. Anybody who's playing in tier two or tier three who thinks they should be playing for England, I'm telling you now, like, forget about it. Don't even think about it. You're not committed to this. You're not committed enough to want to go and do it. If you are, go and sign for a tier one club, wherever they are in the country. Couldn't agree more. So just um, kind of last, last kind of talking point we were going to cover today was, again, just looking at that whole England futsal um, program and just talking about what we currently understand is the landscape for who are the kind of key people involved in running it, how the selection might work, what what might be the um, what might be the plan once you, once players do get into that team. So I think the kind of kind of three guys I've got written down here are Sean, Juan, and Pete. Cookie, do you want to kind of give your view on where they are currently looking at resp- looking at responsibility wise and from what you sort of seen? Yeah, I think there's probably still quite a lot to come out. Um, I mean, and I'm probably as in the dark as everybody else on that front. Um, I think it, the the way it was announced by England Futsal was that Sean was sort of the the overriding figure and that Juan was going to be primary focused on the men's pathway and that Pete was going to be primary focused on the women's pathway. Um, you know, so we've got three really good people involved and they've, they've obviously got their own focuses. So I'm assuming... Juan will be involved with the 19s and um, the group that are training together now, which I think are sort of the old 19s. Um, I do know there's a new group of 19s coming through. Obviously, we've as a club and as a parent, we've put I've put players forward for that group. Um, so they're moving into their extended training now. So they've got three. They've been given three training dates uh, in preparation for. Um, I think I think it's January next year where their qualifiers are, but I could be wrong on that. Don't hold me to it. That's probably me being a bad dad not knowing when that is um and, and like you're say, and you're saying the word parent and dad there because rumor has it there's a a troublesome cook making his way into the pathway again um, yeah but, but i'm mean, better cook it depends it depends he's listen <laughs> I, he's my favorite player uh he's taken liam's spot so he's my favorite player Damn. um <laughs> And and listen, I think he's I think he's really talented. Um, he's been really committed over the last few years, and probably the last twelve months, he's his level has has gone up massively. Um, you know, he's he's had a couple of tier one games this year and, and done really well. I don't think we've really seen the player that he is yet. I think there's probably still a little bit of nerves there, still a bit of finding his feet. And I'm not in a rush to to have him in a tier one squad week in week out. I think you know developing at tier two is important for for all the young players and. You know, within the the realms of our club, I've been I've been honest and open with all the parents and players that whilst you might feel you're ready for tier one every week, and I think some of them are, I don't think that's necessarily the best place for their development right now. I think spending the next certainly 18 months until they hit sort of the the, the latter end of 17 towards 18 in tier two is is best for their development in terms of court time in terms of being able to understand how to control your own tempo and and, and dictate a game but at the same time be challenged physically uh, and mentally and again like i say you know two or three of the players played against east riding and they probably struggled both physically and mentally to to deal with that challenge but that's why it's so important that they have that kind those kind of experiences so yeah like as a as a coach and i suppose mentor to that group that i've got I've got a vision for the way they develop over the next couple of years. They do make it hard for me. You know, Tyler's played two tier one games and scored three goals. Um, and he's played a couple of national cup games and scored more goals as well. So, you know, the Comrie, you, you know, we've, we've spoke about Comrie in the past or the long haired kid to most people. And I think, <laughs> you know, you watch, you watch Comrie and you can see he moves like a futsal player. And yeah, I was he, very he, impressed. He's got a bright future, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of development, both physically and in terms of sort of out of possession, potentially in certain areas. Likewise with Tyler, he gets caught high. He's got great intensity, but he, he, you know, he gets caught jumping a little bit too often. And then you've got maybe a different kind of player in like Robbie Dean, um, who, has got a bit more of a football background and that probably allows him to compete with 
more much much more senior players because of his intensity and his physicality and his speed he is lightning he actually reminds me of uh bally a lot when bally was younger in the way that he plays and moves around the court but again when we go back to talking about dictating game games and controlling your own tempo so that the game the the game beyond it can develop robbie's that's probably robbie's key aspect of of learning over the next 12 months but you know, he played yeah. against York for uh, us on Sunday and was excellent. So it, they make it really, when they play, they make it really hard to justify keeping them in the, in tier two. My, my fear about hearing all that, and it sounds, I mean, brilliant that you got named a few good players there. And there's, there's more around the country that I've seen as well. But the fear I have is, can we keep them in the sport? Because the first thing you said about the, um, the third lad there was, you know, he's got that football background. I'm already thinking, oh, great. He's using futsal for football. So that's the challenge. And, and fair enough, right? There's money there. If he wants to be a pro footballer, power to him. But we have to make the sport incentivized enough or at least allow players to twin track and do football and futsal and keep the good players in the game. Yeah, well, I agree. Coming back, that's probably going to yeah, happen, sorry. isn't it? That's kind of what the, the carrot was before when we had people like Max, you know, twin tracking, you know, playing foot, uh, uh, football for Maidenhead and futsal, obviously with England. But I think, like I say, now you've got that... England back I think we kind of track more like say the, the football football players who who maybe might not make it professionally but you know we could offer them that other alternative of being able to play for your country I think you know it makes players think twice yeah right. and I think I do think Robbie's a prime example of that you know Robbie he's making he's making for for a 17 year old he's making good progression in his sort of non-league career um playing a bit of senior futsal uh, sorry senior football um in the non-league pyramid but also at the same time getting opportunities to go and be looked at in in different areas um slightly higher up the pyramid because of his age but i think what's kept him involved in the futsal was obviously the experiences of going away with england last year for the under 19s he's eligible for the next cycle of under 19 so obviously you would assume that he's got a great chance of being involved in that again and he's also been involved in the, the sort of training camps with the, the sort of like i suppose the under 21s as it, it, it kind of is at the moment without those and without that experience i I, I, I could be wrong and, and I don't want to do Robbie a disservice and his, his parents a disservice, but Robbie may, may have already just decided to focus primarily on his, foot, his football um, career. But like Liam just said, the, the, the experiences you get with England and, and I can, I can say this because I've lived it more than anybody else. The experiences you get with England far outweigh the small amount of money you earn from football. Um, and if I could have retired from football earlier, bearing in mind I've got four kids and a family and everything else, so like I say, it was a second job for me. I wish I would have done it, and I kind of wish I would have done it, so that I could have focused more primarily on futsal and probably starting the journey I'm on now in terms of a coach earlier, because I had more time and energy to do it. Yeah. So I mean, really, really good insight, especially from you there, Cookie. Around, you know, we're we're trying to give some. Insight to those of you listening, uh, Liam. You know you said some things. Thank you for that as well. But um, all right, I think on on that note, we'll uh, thank you very much for everyone for listening. Hopefully, you've you've taken out of it what we were hoping to get across in terms of we're super excited about the whole England thing, but it's it is a big commitment. We want to see people committing to the game. There's a lot of good people out there to help, um, and we just can't wait to see what what happens, both the, the male and the female pathway. Excellent news this morning about the the female pathway and massive congrats to everyone behind the scenes getting that one done um let us know what you think if you want to hear some more from from us or if you want to just, just shut up and go away any topics you want to cover keen to keen for you to let us know so thank you very Bordy. much and catch you soon Bordy. what before you close it off like this was a bit serious a bit too serious for me that's why you know mama's was on mute for a lot of it can we like have some more fun ones going forward because like, yeah, I think I think I think I was gonna, I was going to add I was going to add in there that we've we've covered a lot of serious topics today, but moving forward we we would like it to be a little bit more light-hearted where 100%. you can yeah. The, I think the, the, the only thing for me.